Luke chapter 13, we'll read verses 1 through 5. Let's read the odd-numbered verses together, and I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, the Word of God says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, and because they suffered such things, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, And slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And let's pray. We're going to pray in just a moment, then we'll have a special, and then the message. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity once again to open your word. We are thrilled that we have... uh, copy of the inspired, preserved Word of God. And Lord, we pray that you would use this Word once again in our hearts, as you have so many times, that you'd use it to speak down to the places, the deep places of the soul, the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And Lord, that you would minister to us, and Lord, change us. If there's one under the sound of my voice here or watching or listening online, that you'd save them, help them to see their need of you, and to put their trust in you once and for all. And Lord, the rest of us, help us to understand the Word of God, be grateful for our salvation, and know how to explain to others the eternal truths of God. So we pray that you give us insight into your Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Come 
sing that yesterday at the funeral. We appreciate you singing it for us again here today. Father, help us now as we turn to your word. Give me the words that need to be said for this hour and make them powerful in our hearts, understandable and real. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The passage we read, Luke chapter 13, very interesting passage Uh, Our Lord had been talking to the crowd gathered there. You find out in chapter 12, there was a large crowd gathered to listen to Christ. And, of course, we know that His fame spread abroad very quickly. Christ was the most famous person in that part of the world at the time. If there had been a daily newspaper, He would have been on the front page every morning. If there had been a 24-hour news cycle, He would have been every hour just hitting Breaking news, Jesus heals a lame man. Breaking news, Jesus makes the deaf to hear. Breaking news, Jesus breaks up a funeral and the the dead live. I mean, just imagine the the fame of what uh, Christ was doing and the the glory that he was bringing upon himself and upon his father. And so huge crowds came to see him. But he often had some things that were hard for people to hear. And he was, this is a passage of scripture where Jesus gives them some, some pretty tough love. Now, some people think that everything should just be nice. You know, they just wanted everything to be unicorns and rainbows and pastel colors and cotton candy and candy apples. And, and boy, if you talk about anything that is at all negative or anything that's hard to hear, oh, that's not loving, that's not nice. You know, it's like, but you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, we've got a problem. Is the doctor mean because he tells you you can't eat barbecue ribs and donuts every day and stay alive? Is that mean? I personally think that's mean. I mean, who is he to tell me 
Now, we, that conversation didn't happen yet. Give it five years, and I'm sure it will. Uh, or the doctors, they find cancer. And God forbid they find cancer. Is the doctor mean when he says, you've got cancer, and we either deal with this or you die? That's not mean. That's what he's supposed to do. I'll tell you the mean thing. The mean thing would be is if the doctor knew you had cancer and he didn't tell you. If the doctor knew you were sick and there was a life-saving drug and he didn't offer it to you. That wouldn't just be mean. That'd be evil, wouldn't it? And so oftentimes we we have to understand that love in the Scripture and even the, the holy love of God, God loves us enough to tell us the truth. Even if the truth is hard to hear sometimes. Amen? And so here Jesus begins to tell them a difficult truth. And it's a fascinating portion of Scripture. In verse 1, well, let's look at it. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him, Jesus, of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So hold your place here and look briefly at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This portion of Scripture, Jesus is probably referring to the same situation that is referred to in Acts chapter 5. If you remember the context of Acts chapter 5, Jesus is is back into heaven. The early church has started. The disciples have great power. They just healed a man who was sick. Many thousands of people were saved. And the, the Pharisees who rejected Jesus, matter of fact, were the earthly instruments to fulfill the plan of God to crucify Christ. Like, what are we going to do with these people? They keep talking about this Jesus who we just had killed, and his fame and, and faith in him is growing. And so a man named Gamaliel, if you remember, uh, he, he was talking to them about what do we do, because some people, some Pharisees just wanted to kill all the Christians right away. And uh, Gamaliel's like, if you kill them, you're just going to make it bigger. And remember, he uses a couple examples. Remember this situation where they got a following and then it died out. And then this situation, they got a following and it died out. Look at Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 37. Another one of his examples. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing that drew away much people after him, he also perished and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And so Gamaliel's thought was, listen, if you just leave these people alone, if God's not in it, it's going to die off. Well, Gamaliel, 2,000 plus years later, Christianity is alive and well. You know why? Because it's real. It's real. And uh, he used this illustration. But this is probably the the situation Christ is speaking of. This man, Judas of Galilee, told Jews you don't have to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire would give each local government space to fulfill their local customs as long as they didn't cross the Roman government. Remember, the Roman government was the largest world government at the time. They spanned many cultures and and even multiple continents. So the way they held that together was they would let people have freedom as long as those people did not cross or break Roman law. If you broke Roman law, the Romans were known for being vicious and violent. And when I say vicious, 
I'm talking about a, a violence on a scale that is hard for you and I to imagine because we've been so uh, sheltered and protected in this beautiful place called America. Uh, and so in this particular instance, they sent in the Roman soldiers and basically killed a bunch of followers, but they did it at the Passover. And as they were killing these Jews, their blood that the Romans were shedding was mingling with the holy sacrifices of the Jews. And so that's why they, they called it the mingling of the sacrifices. So these Galileans come to Jesus and they said, uh, do you know the story? And they begin to tell him in verse 1, uh, those Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now this was not a, a uh, one-time event. As I said, the Romans were known for being violent and vicious. Josephus was a historian that was alive about this time. And uh, boy, it's interesting reading if you go back, if you like deep reading, go back and read about Josephus and the historical accounts during the the Bible times, Josephus talks about uh, some other collisions between the Romans and the Jews. At one Passover, Josephus told how 3,000 Jews were butchered and the temple courts were filled with dead corpses. And so the, the holy places of the temple, the Romans, in order to just get people to fall back in line... They butchered 3,000 people and piled the bodies inside the temple court. That's how vicious they were. They said at one time they were having a, an uprising and Pilate sent in Roman soldiers in disguise with daggers among the Passover crowds, randomly killing people just to remind these Jews, you better stay in line. This was a vicious time. And during this time, the, the tensions between the Romans and the Jews were climbing, and these events were happening more and more often. Later, we find out less than 40 years later, from the time this conversation occurred in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed and ransacked Jerusalem. Uh, the historians say that so many Jews were killed at one time that blood was literally running in the streets like a river. Blood was running down the steps of the temple. The Romans were vicious if you cross them. So that just gives us a little context of this story. And so they come to Jesus, and Jesus was talking about these difficult things, and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember this story about the Galileans and whose Blood, uh, Pilate mingled with the sacrifices. But see, Jesus understood their thinking. And Jesus said in verse 2, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? And see, Jesus knew the heart. These people thought, well, this happened to them because they were such bad people. And this is a, a fallacy that a lot of people believe. Well, bad things happen to people because they're bad. And that would never happen to me because I'm not as bad as they are. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 3. I tell you nay. Or he's saying no, this didn't happen to them because they were worse sinners than everybody else. And Jesus goes on to say, 
except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except you repent, except you change your mind, you're going to die a brutal death just like they did. This is some pretty tough love, isn't it? This is some pretty tough medicine. And Jesus also, you can imagine, <laughs> so you can imagine in the crowd, uh, the shock that just kind of ripples through the crowd. <clears throat> and as Jesus is teaching them this important truth, he pulls up another illustration that all of them would have known about. <clears throat> if you know the Gospels, there's a, a pool called the Pool of Siloam. And in verse 4, we learn that 18 people died because while they were in the Pool of Siloam, a nearby tower that had fallen, a tall structure, had fallen <clears throat> and killed 18 people. And the superstitious Jews would have been like, wow, they must have been really bad people for that to happen. They must have had some hidden sin in their lives. I thought Joe was a pretty good guy. Uh, he couldn't have been. Look, the tower fell on him. You know, and this idea permeates still today. Well, I'm a good person, so these things would never happen to me. And, you know, I'm not as bad as that, and I'm better than this. And we've all got to be careful, don't we? Because we tend to look at each other and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or at least I'm not as bad as her. No, the truth is, we're all sinners. And the truth Jesus was trying to convey to them is we all have a sin problem that must be cared for. <clears throat> and he says here in, look at verse 4, Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Here's what Jesus was saying. Every impenitent sinner will face God's judgment. Every impenitent sinner will face God's judgment. You say, oh, preacher, I'd rather you preach about heaven. I'd rather preach about heaven too. I'd rather you preach about Jesus. I'd rather just preach about Jesus too. I wish I could come up here and, and just give us all some spiritual candy and we could all just laugh and have fun and, and, and go, home, <clears throat> go home happy and feeling good about ourselves. But you know, sometimes we need to be reminded that there is a frailty to the human life and that life is not forever on this planet and that all of us have a limited amount of time, whether it be a short amount of time or we get 70 plus years, all of us have a finite amount of time to breathe this air and live on this world and we have to understand and prepare for what comes next. Most people will die without ever spending five minutes of their life trying to understand and prepare for what comes next. You say, well, there's nothing that comes next. How many minutes have you prepared to make that statement? See, most people make that statement without even thinking about it. Why? Because it feels good. It feels good to say there's no, there's no afterlife, there's no God, there's no problems, there, there's no, it, it's just all we live and then we die. That feels good, but to say because in the moment, it feels like you are releasing yourself from all the negativity that comes with that. But what happens is just like any problem, you keep pushing it under the rug. And when that gets closer and closer, the problem builds. You have to face eternity. 
I have to face eternity, whether I like it or not. And just like that doctor who, if he sees the cancer report and says, hey, you know what? You're good. That's, you're doing just fine. There's a lot of preachers who don't get up and talk about the truth of God when it comes to judgment, salvation, and all of those things. And so today we're looking at this portion of Scripture where Jesus is trying to get these dear folks to understand judgment is going to come upon everybody, not just the really, really bad people. I even talk to some people and it's like, they're like, well, I don't believe in hell. Okay. Do you think Hitler deserved to go to hell? Well, yeah, Hitler deserves to go to hell. But there is no hell for me. It's, It's like, so there's no hell for you, but there's a hell for Hitler. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer was killing and eating people. Do you think he, well, yeah, he deserves to go to hell. But there's no hell for you. You see how this works? It's all inconsistent. We tend to build a personal theology that makes sense when we apply to other people, but we have a blind spot when we apply it to ourselves. And this is what Jesus was saying. You have a blind spot. These people were not worse than you. The truth is judgment comes upon everybody, every impenitent sinner who refuses to make things right with God through through the Savior will face God's judgment. He said this phrase, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And I find this morning, I just want to give you three quick areas of repentance, three quick areas where we need to repent or except you repent, likewise we shall perish. Perish And repentance just talks about a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And so I change my mind about something, and then I change what I was going to do. And so uh, let's apply that to the scriptures here. Let me give you three quick areas of repentance. Number one, except ye repent regarding creation, ye shall also likewise perish. Except you repent regarding creation, ye shall all likewise perish. You know, you've got to deal with, how did all this stuff get here? How'd the world get here? How'd the universe get here? How did you get here? I know you know the story of the birds and the bees. That's not what I'm talking about. How did you get here? What are you doing here? Why am I here? And you have to deal with that concept of creation because it's the foundation for everything. There's a reason why in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God started with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's a reason you have to start there. The Bible starts with God and it ends with God. If you get Genesis chapter 1 wrong, then you get everything else wrong. And Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the most attacked chapters in the entire Bible. Why? Because the devil knows if you get that wrong, nothing else matters. And so this idea of creation, how did everything that's here get here? And this is important when it comes to judgment because the number one reason I hear why people don't believe in God or the Bible is because of science. And I use science in air quotes. Science. 
I often talk to people, especially young people, especially if they're uh, in college or different things. I'll talk to them about Christ or I'll try to hand them a track. And I remember just uh, a while ago, handed a track to a young man and said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about the Lord. You, he said, Oh, I don't believe in God. He said, I believe in evolution. I said, Well, tell me about that. He said, Well, you know. I said, No, explain it to me. Well, you know. And it's interesting how sitting in a classroom listening to people, most of the lectures which the average student doesn't even understand, will walk away from 2,000 years of human wisdom and the Word of God and everything else and say, I just don't believe that anymore. I happen to like science. I always have. Science in school was my favorite subject. I hated math. I loved science. It's not that I can't do math. It was just boring. Now, I've got friends who love math. They just love looking at numbers and uh, all the algebra and the calculus and stuff. I, I, I understand it. It just bores me to tears. But science, oh, and I'm talking about all the sciences, biology and chemistry and, and everything that, that science offers, I love it. But you know what I've found over the years? Is not everything that's called science is science. You've got to be honest with that to start with. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So all the way back in the New Testament, people were using science to oppose God. Now let's get something out of the way right now. The Bible doesn't teach the earth is flat, right? Because that's a common thing. Well, the Bible teaches the earth is flat. No, the Catholic Church taught the earth is flat. The Bible teaches the earth is round. And so a lot of times people relate to some Christian sect or the Catholic Church that had these, these different views, and they'll say, well, that's what Christians believe. What you'll find is the Bible is actually a very scientific book, and it agrees with science in amazing ways. It would shock you if we could take about a three-day seminar and go through all the scientific things that the Bible is correct about. I mean hundreds of things that the Bible was correct about hundreds of years before they were discovered by man. It would be shocking to you. But the average person has no idea. You know, any time that someone won't talk about something, it's usually because their, their arguments or suppositions are pretty weak. And there's a reason why they don't allow the Bible or a preacher like me or people like you into the school system or even allowing these young people to hear the truth about creation science. It is astounding how God made this planet. Matter of fact, if you go back to all the old scientists, they would study God's creation to find out how God made the world nowadays if you even believe that God made the world, they say you can't be a scientist. Well, tell that to Galileo. Tell that to Pasteur. 
The guy that found the x-rays was a Christian. The guy that created the MRI machine was a Christian. The list of scientific advancements that were found out and discovered by Christians is a, and Jews is a mile long. But nowadays, if you even say you believe in God, supposedly you can't be a scientist? It's ridiculous. And that just shows the weakness of the argument. Real science is based on the scientific method. Real science. False science is based on unprovable supposition's and i've even talked to you about before about the difference between hard sciences and soft sciences it might be pretty interesting for you to look into that you might be surprised what's called science today and people just say oh that's science we found that out even recently with the pandemic the scientists couldn't agree on what was true often just on a whim changing this no this no this no this no this no this no this, no this. And the reason why they do that is because they were making suppositions, calling it science, but they didn't have enough evidence. And I believe in science based on the scientific method. But boy, you get away from that, you get yourself into trouble. Most people today simply believe what a teacher, professor, or author tells them. They take it by faith. Talking to a young man, and he said, I I believe in evolution, I don't believe in God. And I said, explain it to me. And he pulled out one or two things and I said, so explain that to me. He said, well, there was a study that proved. I said, oh, did you look at the study? He said, well, no, but it was in the textbook. I said, so you didn't see the study, but you believed what the book said about the study? He said, yeah. I said, the difference is I'm believing God's book and taking it by faith, and you're believing a textbook and taking it by faith. So repentance regarding creation, don't miss this, is a change of mind about the universe that acknowledges God as creator and therefore the judge of all. And this is the real crux of the matter. When you acknowledge God as the creator, you have to acknowledge him as the judge. And there's even been scientists say, we cannot accept the fact that God may have created everything because that means we would be accountable to him. They're smart enough to understand this. Here's the interesting thing. What makes more sense? Everything came from nothing for no reason. I want you to stop and think. If you believe, if you you are are grabbing on to the, the narrative that everything is just here through billions of years of accidental mutations, what that basically boils down to is everything came from nothing, and it's here for no reason. Does that make sense to anybody? Or would it make more sense to say there is a transcendent being called God who designed and created everything for His purposes? What makes more sense? Everything came from nothing for no reason, Or there's a transcendent being called God who designed and created everything. Here's how crazy this gets. The average scientist will believe in aliens, but they will not make room for God. And you hear them talk about this. If you're into science, they will literally say, 
when they look at the design of the universe, when they look at the mathematical complexity, you understand that the entire universe is made with mathematical precision. From the vastness of space to a subatomic level, everything in the universe runs with mathematical precision. And if it was a small percentage of a percent off, it all flies apart. So you can't really study the universe without saying there is a design element here. But the average scientist is more willing to believe, and I've heard them say this, it's possible the earth was seeded by ancient alien civilizations. They will more quickly believe that than that there's a God in heaven who made everything. Does that make sense to you? Here's another thought. I was listening to these two men talk, and one man was a a believing scientist, and the other was an unbelieving scientist, an an atheistic scientist. And the believing scientist asked the, the other scientist, of all the available knowledge in the universe, known and unknown, of all the available knowledge in the universe, how much do you think you know? And the atheist looks at him and says, wow, pretty small number. And the believing scientist said, 10%? And the guy said, no, not 10%. 1%? The believing scientist asks, not even close to 1% of all the available knowledge in the universe? We don't even know anywhere close to 1%. And the believing scientist said, then how can you with all confidence say, with how little you know about everything that is and all the available knowledge, how can you stand there and say with 100% confidence there is no God? And it takes an incredible amount of pride for someone to say, there is no God. I have more respect for an agnostic who says, I'm not sure if there's a God, because that's at least honest, but there is an inherent dishonesty in atheism. It's dishonest. And what you'll find is, if someone is an atheist, they usually have had two things. Number one, way too much education. They sit in a classroom for far too long, listening to bitter people tell them there is no God. But number two, they've usually, they've usually had some personal trauma themselves. Someone died and, or something terrible happened to them. They were abused. Some tragedy happened in the world. And what you'll find is when you talk to most atheists is they don't believe in God, but at the same time they're mad at Him. And how can you be mad at someone that doesn't exist? No, the truth is everybody on the planet needs to look at this world and they need to repent regarding creation. But there is a God. He created everything. Except you likewise perish. Look look back at the scripture. He says in verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Let me give you this one quickly. Except you repent regarding judgment. Every impenitent sinner will face God's judgment. And except you repent, ye shall likewise perish. Ezekiel 18.4 God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so is the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Numbers 32, 23. But if ye 
will not do so, behold, you've sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Repentance regarding judgment is a change of mind about God's impending judgment that leads one to believe the gospel. Once, you've, once you deal with the fact there is a creator, and that means you're accountable to him, now you've got to deal with the fact that that God says, everybody's a sinner, and I'm going to judge sin one day, but I've given you an escape. I've given you an escape. You have a way to not be judged, but if you refuse my way of escape... You will be judged, just like I told you. It's like the man who is in the flood, and he's on the, he's on the roof of his house, and the flood waters. And by the way, pray for those dear people in Kentucky, the floods, people sleeping and just getting swept away. And I saw one where a house was literally knocked off its foundation as people were sleeping inside of it, and many lives lost. But imagine someone who, a terrible flood, and they're up on their roof, and, and they're praying for God to save them. And a boat comes by and says, hey, get in the boat. And uh, the guy on the roof says, no, I'm praying for God to save us. He, he's going he's gonna to take care of us. And so the boat leaves. And a few minutes later, a helicopter comes by and, and uh, they let down a ladder. Come on, get in the helicopter. We're going to rescue you. And they, they say, no, we're, we're praying about it. God's going to rescue us. And, and uh, not too long after that, the floods rise and they die. And now they're in heaven saying, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? And God said, I sent a boat and a helicopter and you wouldn't get in. And sometimes that's the way people act. They don't see that God has already answered the greatest need. When it comes to judgment, it is a harsh truth to tell somebody, there is a judgment upon your soul unless you accept Christ. But it's not unloving. It's not mean. Just like the doctor that says you've got cancer, but we can do this, this, and this to help you get through this. The salvation is available Look at Romans chapter 3, quickly, Romans chapter 3. I want to show you a verse that you should underline and memorize. This is so important when we're dealing with people that, that don't believe. And by the way, what's interesting is still in America, studies say that 80% of Americans still believe in God. Think about that. They say 80% of Americans still believe in God. Now, that doesn't mean they're Christians. It doesn't mean they believe the gospel. But boy, you listen to the news, you watch TV, they make you feel like you're the last person on planet Earth that believes in God. It's just not true. Because the evidence is so overwhelming. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 3. The Bible says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So here's what, here's what God's saying. So let's say you don't believe. Let's say you don't believe God created everything. Let's say you don't believe in heaven. You don't believe in hell. You don't believe in Jesus. Does your unbelief mean that God's not going to do what He said? If I tell my child, you do that again, there's going to be trouble. And they don't believe me. How many of that's ever happened to you? You have children... And you have explained the details of the situation to them, and they did not believe you. And you say, oh, well, if you don't believe me, then I guess my hands are tied. I just I can't do anything about it. No, the truth is you went ahead and did whatever you were going to do because their unbelief did not change the situation. And what these verses are telling us is someone's personal unbelief does not change the plan of God. Look what it says. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? 
God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. And so, wow, God's going to do exactly what he said. You know, I don't say this with any, any pleasure. There are going to be countless people on the day of judgment they are going to be shocked that God does exactly what the Bible says He was going to do. They're going to be shocked. They shouldn't be shocked because God tells us. Let me give you the last thought. Except you repent regarding creation. Except you repent regarding judgment. Except you repent regarding salvation. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel is found in John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's look at it. This is what God wants us to believe. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't stop reading there. Let's read on. Verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The message that I'm giving you today is not a, a hard message of, of meanness and, and all of that as, as the world would like to uh, call it. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent His Son in the world to save the world. The problem is the world is already condemned. It's not mean or unloving or judgmental to say, we're all going to die someday. And we're all going to face God. And if we face Him like we are, we're all going to be separated from Him in torment forever. That's like the doctor saying you got cancer, and if we don't do something about it, you're going to die. But we don't stop there. We say there is a plan of salvation. God so loved the world. Imagine a God who loves you so much that He and His own Son agree that the Son will leave the glories of heaven, come down to earth, live as a man and die as a perfect man in the place for all of our sin. We all understand intrinsically the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice. And Christ died in our place so that we could go to heaven someday. He came that we might be saved. Look at verse 18. He that believeth not is not condemned. That's the path to salvation. You put your faith in Jesus, trust Him as your Savior, you don't have to be condemned. But, but read on. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you know what someone has to do to go to hell? Nothing. 
You don't have to be a serial killer. You don't have to be a mass murderer. You don't have to be... The truth is all of us are under that penalty because all of us have fallen short of perfection. We all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. You know what you have to do to go to heaven? I got to be a good person. I got to go to church. I got to. No, 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 no. To go to hell, you don't have to do anything but just keep doing what you're doing. To go to heaven, you don't have to do anything but recognize you need a Savior. And this is the repentance regarding salvation. Repentance regarding salvation is a change of mind about sin. It's bad, and I've done it. About myself, I am a sinner. And about the Savior, Jesus died on the cross for me. He's the only hope for heaven. As a 16-year-old boy, I changed my mind about all those things. I said, I know that God hates sin. I know that I am a sinner and can't go to heaven without Jesus. I know that Jesus is the Savior, and He'll save me if I trust Him. And as a 16-year-old boy, in a church service much like this, I had someone help me at the end of a service, and I put my faith in Jesus once and for all. And folks, ever since that day, I've had a wonderful assurance of knowing I'm going to heaven someday. That's the key. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And Lord, this is not a message that is enjoyable to preach, and a lot of churches wouldn't even want to talk about it, but it's in your word, and it's an important thing. And Lord, people won't, won't seek the Savior until they know they need Him. And I pray today you'd help us to see our sinfulness, that you'd help us to see our need of the Savior. That you'd help us to see Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Lord, that you'd help us to see about creation. Boy, we look around, we see your glory everywhere. And so many people are so insulated about the truth of, of creation, the Bible, creation, science, and, and just the amazing, undeniable wonder of it all. That they just dismiss it entirely without ever thinking about it. They, they dismiss you and the possibility of salvation. Pray you'd help some to repent regarding creation. Help us to repent regarding judgment. To understand that we are going to be judged one day. And to repent regarding salvation. That only faith in you is the only escape. 